So there are certain things that when you, when you're doing things that are different and out of, out of the normal way that you uh, do things, you, you learn and you adjust and you make changes. And um, one of those things that I just learned today is that when the sun comes out, you can't see your iPad. It's really hard and C's look like G's. And so, um, so you may have heard a few, uh, a few things in there that didn't go, but now we know next week uh, I'm printing out some paper versions of those things so I can actually see them um, when I'm playing. Well, thank you, Avril. I appreciate your constant uh, encouragement on the... Uh... <laughs> so for those of you who have not been watching the uh, video services, which I'm not gonna bust anybody out. Um, but if you haven't, we've been doing something uh, since the beginning of the year called uh, Sunday School at Tapestry. And what we have been doing is this, we have been looking at different stories throughout the Bible, stories that many of them are, many of them are stories that we uh, heard when we were kids uh, growing up. If you grew up in church, you've heard a bunch of Bible stories. And uh, there's some stories, though, that as we've heard them as kids and we knew them growing up, maybe even gone back and read them as adults, and they seemed like good stories, but as you got into life, kind of the meaning that you were told as a kid as to what these things meant kind of didn't really hold up real well. Um, and so the, maybe just didn't really connect with what you were doing in life. You couldn't see how things worked and... And there's some people that didn't grow up in church and hadn't been around church. And a lot of these stories that we take for granted as having, you know, everybody knows these stories uh, are stories that a lot of people have actually never even heard. And so what we have done for this year um, is we have, we have gone through and we're doing stories old school, felt board characters, whole nine yards, like back to Sunday school. Um, and so what we've been doing is I've been starting out each service and we've been, I'm just telling the story straight with uh, using the flannel graph characters, whole nine yards, just telling the story straight. And then once I tell it, we go back and begin to maybe pick it apart and see what is below the surface in the story or what you may not have known uh, or seen before. So this week, uh, as we're in the week before Easter, we are going to be starting out with this guy. And I'm so excited that there's people I'm actually talking to. I might make it crowd participation. Who, anybody, who's this guy? Yes, thank you. <laughs> and that's the, my wife, anytime I ask her a Bible question, she just says Jesus. It doesn't matter what it is. What's the question? Jesus? Yeah, that's right. Um, oh man, Jesus down, Jesus down. That's not till Friday, Jesus. Get back up here. All right, so we got, we got Jesus, right? And Jesus' ministry is rolling along um, and he's been at it for a while and he has been attracting just a ridiculous amount of crowds of people, right? All these people want to come. Man, this wind is getting me. All these people want to come, watch Jesus do his thing. He's doing miracles. He's giving sermons. He's inviting people that shouldn't be invited into places to do things right? Doing all of this. And he's drawing lots of crowds, right? We're going to just let those crowds be up there. Those aren't going to stick. So while this is happening, there is a group of people 
who don't really care for this at all. And they're led by this guy. This guy's name is Caiaphas. And Caiaphas at the time was the high priest uh, there in Jerusalem, which means basically he ran the entire show when it came to the faith of the Jewish people. And it's a little different, the faith of the Jewish people compared to the way our faith works now, because not only um, was their faith important to them, but it was the epicenter of their culture. Everything they did in life was dictated by and revolved around the rules. Oh man, see, this is what I said about learning. Good thing we did it this week and didn't start next week. Um, Around the rules, the religious rules. And so if you didn't follow the religious rules and you weren't in the good graces of the religious people, then you essentially lost your place, your standing in society. You just lost it. You couldn't, couldn't participate. And so the leader of that was this guy, Caiaphas. And so he was not happy with what it was that Jesus was doing and neither were any of the other religious leaders. And I have a lot of other religious leaders here, but we're, we're not gonna fight with them at the moment. But there's a group of religious leaders. He gets them all together. And he basically says to them, they're talking amongst themselves. They're like, what are we gonna do? This Jesus dude is attracting all of these people. He's saying, he's saying negative things towards us. He's turning people against us. What are we going to do? See you, Caiaphas. You have, a, you have a good trip. What are we gonna do? And so he essentially says, he speaks up and he says, listen, here's what we're gonna do. He says, don't you know that it's better for one guy to die than to put up with all of this. And they look at him and they're like, what, what? And Jesus had said a few harsh things to him. We're gonna look at one a little later, but he had said a few harsh things to them and about them in public and, and they just weren't having it anymore because their one job that they had to make sure that they did was keep the peace because otherwise the Romans who was occupying their territory and were who in charge of everything had basically said to Caiaphas and the Jewish religious leaders, listen, you can do whatever you want. We don't care, but you got to do two things. You got to keep the peace and you got to keep the money flowing to Rome. Those were their two things. And so as as Jesus was drawing more and more people saying more things against them, um, they worried about their grip on being able to keep the peace with the people. So they got together and they said, listen, Jesus can't be. And from that point on, they decided that they were going to kill him. Now, one of the strange things about Christianity um, is this, and... That is that there's a tendency within us who call ourselves Jesus followers. There's a tendency for us to um, resist the God that we say we trust. Because I'm sure if I, you know, look for a show of hands, how many of you trust God? You know, well, probably most of you would, yeah, raise the hand. Yeah, I trust, I trust God. But there's this thing in us that wants to resist God at so many times, right? How, how many of you have done that, resisted? Right, yeah, we have. Uh, And there's so many ways to do it. Like we know that God would want us to forgive this person, but we don't want to forgive. So we resist, right? Because forgiving is hard. You know, we should, maybe there's a relationship that we shouldn't be in or shouldn't be involved with, you know, but but there's something about that relationship that just has a hold of us. And so we stay in it. Um, You know, you know, there's places you shouldn't go, but you do, you know, you shouldn't spend your money that way, but you end up spending your money that way anyway. And you know, and you know, and you know, and your heart tells you what's right. 
and you know that what you're doing isn't the right thing to do and the, the scriptures tell you what's right and when you listen to sermons, that tells you what's right, but there's just something in you, you find yourself resisting the God that you claim to trust, right? And so it's really confusing, especially for people who aren't Christians and watch this from the outside. Right, that watch now. If you're if you're aren't if you're not a church person, you have a word for that, and that word is hypocrite. Anybody, anybody heard that word leveled at you, or you've thought it about other Christians, or um, yeah, and, and that doesn't just stay in the religious realm. That goes in. That word works in other areas of life, but but hypocrisy is when we don't actually walk the talk, right? When we say we trust in God and then we don't. When we say there's things we shouldn't do, there's morals we live by, there's standards we have, and we don't stay by those, right? But it's difficult sometimes to surrender your life to God, right? A God, especially a God who, you know, let's be honest with it. We never, we don't shy away from difficult honesty things here at Tapestry. It's difficult to trust and surrender your life to a God that you've never seen, right? It, it, for, for a God who you can't hear, who speaks to your heart, whatever that means to so many people, right? How do you figure that out? That makes it difficult. Who speaks through ancient literature? And it's an ongoing struggle that we have as we try to follow Christ and God, right? Now, the interesting thing is that in the weeks leading up to Jesus's arrest, um, and I'm gonna, Chair Mike, can you come take this thing? That wind is getting it. It's getting ready to, even with the waist. Um, in the weeks leading up to, in the weeks leading up to Jesus' arrest, um, there were several characters that you can go through. It's really fascinating. The scriptures leading up to the arrest. There were several characters um, who who intersected with the life of Christ, and so many of them within that they 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 had very specific agendas that put them at odds with God and at odds with Jesus. And at that point, those people didn't necessarily connect those two people to each other, God and Jesus, but it put them at odds. And as you read through those stories, there's a little bit of us in those people who were at odds with Jesus leading up to his crucifixion, right? And their stories of resistance illustrate the struggle that so many of us have with following God, right? So today, on this week before Easter, I want to look at one character that we're talking about. And that was the guy, Caiaphas, that flew away somewhere earlier, um, that took a trip. He was a high priest during the time of Jesus, most powerful person, influential person in all of Jerusalem and Judea. Um, The whole, those two places together, uh, the ancient nation of Israel, like he called all of the shots. He was a connecting point between Israel and Rome, the person who communicated with Pilate, who was the Roman person in Jerusalem to watch over all of this stuff. Uh, He controlled the power, the politics, the religion, so much of the money. Like this dude, like had it all for 40 years. 40 years he served as the high priest. And he had all of that power and influence. And with those two things, what holds true now in our culture held true then, with those two things came an extraordinary amount of wealth. And he had it all. There were amazing perks that came with being the leader of the Jewish religion. And things were going along just fine for Caiaphas um, until, until a carpenter rabbi stepped onto 
the scene and kind of changed history. And that was Jesus, son of Joseph. Now, um, Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ isn't his last name. A lot of people think that's his last name. Um, but that wasn't his last name. That was a title meant that he was the long awaited Messiah, which the Jewish leaders did not accept at all. But everywhere Jesus went, he drew these large crowds, just hundreds of people would show up, which was unheard of in that time. And this was a problem for the Jewish leaders because crowds meant possible insurrection, division, um, civil war, things may not go well. And, uh, and they may not go well quickly if a crowd decided to turn on them. Because if there were hundreds of people and Jesus is saying some inflammatory things and pointing out the religious leaders specifically, it wouldn't take much for that crowd to turn around on those religious leaders and possibly physically harm them, if not even kill them, right? But outside of the festival days, there were certain festivals throughout the year in Jerusalem. Outside of the festival days, Caiaphas and the rest of the religious leaders did not draw a crowd at all. And then the religious festivals, the crowd would come, but they knew that it wasn't about them. It was about the festival. It was about the celebration. It was about the tradition, right? And, and so they knew that. And the other problem with Jesus when it came to Caliphus was the amount of authority that Jesus spoke with, right? He just wasn't a random guy with ideas. There had been a lot of random guys with ideas. There'd been other guys before Jesus to show up and profess to be the Messiah and make that claim. But there was something about the authority with which Jesus spoke that gave it just a, an extra weight that they hadn't seen before. And in that authority, he was critical of the religious leaders. And Jesus went on a rant that we looked at a few weeks ago and he just unloaded for a whole chapter onto the religious leaders. And here's one of the things in Matthew 23. Here's how he ended that entire rant. Matthew 23, 33, he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? In other words, the, those people, you people who get up every day and try to be good, who it's your job to be good, who lead the people, who oversee the sacrifices, you are going to hell. This is what he said to them. And you can guess that that did not go over wonder. So it's no uh, go over well. So it's no wonder Caiaphas had an issue with Jesus because he threatened the peace and the peace keepers. Now this builds and builds and builds until there's the final straw. And the final straw wasn't something that Jesus said. It wasn't a conversation. It wasn't a confrontation that he had with the religious leaders. The final straw was an act of compassion in which Jesus raised someone from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Right, and he, Lazarus was a very famous citizen of Bethany. Word spread, like the people just began to, to, to follow and flock to Jesus like never before. And Caiaphas and the religious leaders realized that their strategy of discrediting Jesus publicly wasn't working. So they were gonna have to try something new because they could not divide him from the crowd that was growing bigger and loving him more and more and more. And so John writes this moment of realization amongst the religious leaders. John chapter 12. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And of course they had no idea when they said, look what the whole world has gone after him. They had no idea what they were on the front end of. They had no idea that literally one day the expanded world that they didn't even have a grasp of existed, that Christianity and the followers of Jesus would be the largest religion on the globe. They had no idea. So they decided they needed to do something different. Here's what they said. 
1147, it says, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Now this means nothing to us, but those three people who were just mentioned, the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the Sanhedrin, those were three different groups of religious leaders who did not get along. Right? They, did not, they did not have the same political ideas. They did not have the same theological ideas. This would be the equivalent of today saying there was a singular person who has made everybody in the nation love them so much and they're speaking to power. So the Republicans, the Democrats, and the Libertarians all got together and said, we've got to do something. Like that's the equivalent. We, would never, we, are, we are past the day and age where that can happen. Those three groups get together and all agree on one thing. But that's essentially what Jesus had driven the religious leaders to here on that day, right? And so that's how big of a threat he was. They they said, what are we accomplishing? They asked, here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. To which we say, knowing how the whole story ends, we're like, yeah, that's the point. That's why he was doing those things to get everybody to believe in him. But then we see the real issue because see, they knew in their heart of hearts that Jesus was actually legit. He was who he claimed to be, but there was something, and this is where we can find ourselves in the story. Because when we look for ourselves in the story, we don't want to find ourselves as the people that are against Jesus, right? We want to always find ourselves as the hero people or the people doing the right things. Um, But where we find ourselves in the people who were against Jesus is that, and this is so important to them, there was something so important to them that they could not accept Jesus for who he was. They couldn't do it, right? Because their power, their popularity, and their wealth were at stake if they accepted Jesus as being who he claimed to be. And they knew what they should do, which was accept him, but it would cost them too much. It would cost them too much. So everybody will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And there it is. It kind of let the cat out of the bag of what the real motive was. We will lose what is valuable to us if we follow Jesus, right? And when you decide to follow Jesus, it is going to cost you something. At some juncture, it is going to cost you something. Every time you put Jesus front and center in your life, it will cost you something. And there's a tension when that arises. When that moment comes to where whatever it is that you're going to have to get up, give up or set aside to do what you know is right. When it comes, there's going to be a tension and you are going to be tempted to say, I don't want to give that thing up. This is why we find ourselves in situations where we resist the God that we claim to trust. So everyone is following Jesus And what had become the center of their life was at stake. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. And he said, you know nothing at all. In other words, you guys don't get it, right? That's not insulting or anything. All of these other guys had spent their entire life from their youth memorizing the entirety of the scriptures (laughs) that they had. And then this guy looks at him and says, you don't know anything at all. He says, you do not realize that it's better for you that one man die. Forget all of these trick questions that we've tried to use to trap him and discredit him in front of people. Forget that, forget trying to separate him from the crowd. Forget that, you know, he, you know, then he realized what he said, I think. 
Like, oh, 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 that doesn't look good, you know, that it's better for one man to die. So he kind of adds on this disclaimer to it. It's better for you that one man die for the people. For the people. This isn't for us, it's for the people, right? Not better for us, better for the people. So it's better for one man to die for the people than that the whole nation perish. In other words, he says, guys, this isn't difficult. You're all worried about this guy, but if we get rid of this one guy, problem solved. Right? We don't have this issue. If we get rid of one guy, we, I mean, the nation will be saved. If we get rid of this one guy, we, I mean, the nation is better off. Then John writes this. He, Caiaphas, did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And John, as he's writing this, he's writing this knowing how the story ends. And so he, he's writing, he's probably got a big old grin on his face as he thought about how they had no idea in that moment, in that meeting, what it was that they were setting up and putting into motion. But he prophesied Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. And as John was writing this, knowing that all of their scheming and plotting was actually advancing the will of God, the whole reason that Jesus was even there, that they were setting up what would not end the influence of Jesus, but amplify and magnify the influence of Jesus. And it illustrates both in history and in our lives, the futility of resisting what it is that we know God wants us to do. It's futile, right? Because your life will be an illustration of this. You will be an illustration of a person said, yes, even though it costs me, I'm going to do it anyway. And then watch how God reacts. Or it's going to be an illustration of, no, I'm not going to do that because it costs me too much. And then as you separate by time from that decision, it will become clearer and clearer the consequences of what? you've done. Either way, you are going to be an illustration because you are not created for your own glory, right? You are created for the glory of God. And in the end, your life in one way or another is going to be a reflection of the truth of God. So the scripture tells us from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Well, they thought that they could take his life. Listen to what Jesus had said about this a chapter earlier. In chapter 10, he said this, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. John, again, he must've been grinning as they plotted to take the life of Jesus and he's writing this down. And I was just thinking about like the futility of, of, of plotting future plans. Like parents, how, how many of you, you know, have ever had your kids plotting their life and what they planned they were going to do? And you're just looking at them like, yeah, you can think you're going to do that all you want. <laughs> I know what's really going to happen. You can make all the plans you want. You can resist all you want, but we know how this is going to go. And it makes so much sense to them in the moment when they're deciding what they want to do. But you know, it's kind of foolishness because that's not how things are going to be. I think in the same way, God looks at us sometimes when we're making the plans for our future and just kind of shakes his head. I, 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 had, a, I had a moment this week where Kate and I had been planning some things for the future. 
and it was all worked out and it was great and everything was gonna go smooth, no problem whatsoever. Everything was laid out perfectly. And then all of a sudden something came up and like, oh, nope, that's not it. That ain't gonna happen. You're gonna have to figure something else out. And I can just imagine that so many times we think we get it all figured out and planned out and God's just looking at us smiling, being like, yeah, that's cute that you think that's how it's gonna work. But it's not, it's not. And, and on the flip side of that, not just smiling at our futile plans, but I think sometimes it breaks his heart when he watches us make decisions that exclude him as creator of the universe in the whole idea of what we're doing, especially when we know that we're doing things we shouldn't be doing, that somehow we're gonna have our way and it's gonna work out for us, even though we know we aren't doing the right thing. Now, Caiaphas had a problem. Here's the problem. See, Rome wouldn't execute anyone over a violation of Jewish law. They just wouldn't do it. And so Caiaphas is like, all we gotta do is kill him. Yeah, but how? Because the Romans wouldn't do it and the Romans wouldn't let them do it, right? And so even if the stated punishment of the Jewish law was death, they wouldn't do it. If you violated Old Testament law, Rome ignored that. The Old Testament meant nothing to them. So he needed to come up with a charge, something that would stick against Jesus where the Romans would agree to the penalty of death. In fact, really the only thing that would do it was he needed a charge of sedition. That Jesus was acting against the Roman empire. He needed to demonstrate to Pilate that Jesus was a threat, not just to Jewish peace, but to Roman peace as well. In fact, that's exactly what he did. He ran it up. He came up with the charge that Jesus had declared himself a king, which put him in direct conflict with Rome. In direct conflict with Rome. So Caiaphas, Caiaphas said, hey, Pilate, you can't let this stand. Caesar, Caesar will have your head if he finds out there's someone claiming to be king and you didn't do anything about it. So the threat was to be eliminated and then their position in society and the power that they held and the influence and the wealth, it would all be safe. So you can imagine the feeling that Caiaphas had when a couple days after he put his plan into practice, someone comes to him and says, hey, the body of Jesus isn't in the grave. That rabbi we crucified, he's, he's missing. So what you would probably say, what, what do you mean? What do you mean missing? Right, and a few weeks later, there would be crowds and crowds of people and they aren't rallying around the person of Jesus. They aren't rallying around some teachings of Jesus. They were rallying around the name of Jesus, the reputation of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And Caiaphas realized that Jesus did more in his dying than he did in his living. That in fact, when Jesus said, no one else could take my life, I lay it down. Caiaphas figured out, yeah, that's right. I was not able to take Jesus's life. If you fast forward years and years later, Caiaphas would eventually lose his position as the high priest. And not too long after that, the Jewish people would lose the temple altogether as in 70 AD, the Roman empire came in and leveled it to the ground. 
And as would happen time after time after time, those who tried to stand against the will of God ended up becoming footnotes in the story of God. And Caiaphas is now a footnote in the story of Jesus. Now, what does all of that have to do with you and me? That's a good question. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. It, it has everything to do with us, right? Because there's a bit of Caiaphas in all of us. There, there's a thing in all of us that says we must preserve what we have at all costs, right? The, the, there's, we've, got to, we've got to do whatever is necessary to preserve our reputation, to preserve uh, a relationship that we're in, to preserve a position that we have, the level of income that we have, um, the standard of living, the level of influence, whatever it is we have, there's something in us that will do whatever it takes to maintain and defend that. And listen, if you take a look around our nation, since we flipped the calendar to this new year, we have watched some very dark things take place by people who are doing whatever is necessary to maintain what they have, right? And there's something that in all of us that wants to do that, but whatever you've replaced God with at the center of your life is already diminishing in value, right? And it's already diminishing in significance, And if you think about it, some of the greatest regrets that you have in your life, if you were to sit and start writing down the regrets you have, they are connected to your attempt to preserve something that isn't even a part of your life anymore. The thing that was losing significance, even as you clung to it desperately. And here's why. Because the little G gods that we have in our life, they always disappoint. That is those things that we have that we elevate in importance above doing what we know we should do and following God. They always disappoint. The thing that you place in place of the will of God will always, always let you down. Always. And the pressure to preserve that thing will eventually drive you into self-destructive behavior. That's why your greatest regrets are connected to trying to preserve something that you had no business preserving in the first place. But listen, God has plans for each of your lives and to put something in place of him in that sets you up for self-destruction every single time. Think about it, Caiaphas had access to the oldest existing copy of the law of God. And that law, very clearly, one of the big 10 said, do not murder. And as the high priest, the guardian of the law, the the highest person of morality in the land, he schemed to have an innocent person murdered. And do you know why? It's because our capacity for evil and our capacity for sin is incredible when we are trying to preserve something that we have put in the place of God. And I understand why Christians resist the God that we say that we trust. It's because surrender in those moments is terrifying, especially when you can't see and can't figure out how it's going to work out. It's terrifying. But it's only terrifying because we think we know better. And we think we know how to make it work. 
So here, here's your challenge this week. You knew I couldn't get you back in tapestry without giving you a challenge. Here's your challenge this week. Make some time to be silent before God and ask this question. God, have I placed something other than you at the center of my life? Have I elevated something in my life that I would be willing to do things I know are wrong in order to preserve that thing? And listen, that's a scary question. It's a, in fact, it's a terrifying question. And the reason that most of us don't ask that question and wait, and wait for the answer is because honestly, we kind of already know the answer, don't we? We already know there are things, but, but what you are afraid to let go of is already diminishing in its value and its circumstances. And you cannot preserve it but it can destroy you. And that's what Caiaphas learned. And that's where our story intersects with his. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I I thank you, first of all, for the amazing privilege to be back together in person for this incredible weather that you've given us. But God, beyond the, the, the feeling of relief that I have to get tapestry rolling again in person, to be able to walk away from this Sunday and just feel good about it having had happened, God, I pray that you don't let us do that this week, that you have this question on our mind. Let it, let it, let it just bug us until we address the question before you, God, that is there anything that we have put in place of you in our life that we would be willing to do things we normally wouldn't do and know we shouldn't do to preserve it? Because God, this is the center of so many issues in so many lives. God, I thank you that you've given us examples of people who paid the price for trying to preserve those things and of people who gave those things up and the way it turned out. Lord, give us the courage to ask the question and the wisdom to hear the answer. Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us and for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen, amen. Well, thank you for being with us as we get things rolling again. Before you go too quickly, um, two announcements. One, um, as you walk out, there are offering boxes on the side. I ain't gonna lie, the last year has really hurt us. <laughs> and so if you wanna support us, you can drop something in there or there's, uh, you can do it online. There's information in the bulletin. The second is that we are going to this Friday um, and there will be information in an email and posted online. We're going to have drive-through communion on Good Friday. Um, if that's something that you would like to do um, and we're gonna be doing it here at the Y. Um, And so if you don't have any plans already for Friday, maybe pencil that down and then we'll get you the information um, to be a part of doing communion with us on Good Friday. But it was great to have everybody back and I hope you have a wonderful week.